Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. What's going on, guys? It is Saturday, September 23rd, and that means it's time for the weekly recap. Before we get into that, however, if you are enjoying The Breakdown, please go subscribe to it, give it a rating, give it a review, or if you want to dive deeper into the conversation, come join us on The Breakers Discord. You can find a link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash breakdown pod. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the weekly recap. We once again have a conversation with Scott Melker and I about the top five stories that we saw this week. As I say at the end of the show, I think this was very, very much a liminal week, one that represents the in-between that we find ourselves firmly after the worst of the bear market, but certainly not yet at the beginning of a bull market. In that, there is still cleanup from the last set of things that happened, as well as inklings of people positioning for the future. And that certainly is the story that we saw this week. So with that, let's get into this conversation, which aired live on Friday morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. I I sound like uh, at least uh, physically I'm doing better than you at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, (laughs) I feel pretty fine. I was in rough shape about two days ago. The combination of uh, jet lag and COVID, I couldn't really understand what was going on. But the 12 hour (laughs) difference from Singapore is pretty brutal. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. I literally like got a sore throat on the plane like three hours before we landed. So of course, this is telling you it's coming. Well, glad, glad you're back. Glad you're here. Thank you. Let's actually dig into what matters here. Obviously, this Binance story is first, and I could pull up 15 articles about what's been happening with Binance, but I think we'll talk about what happened this week, which is that the SEC made some claims about shaky custody, effectively saying that, I guess you pronounce it Seifu, right? The uh, Binance that's custody. What, that's what I've been saying, yeah. Turns into Seifu, and that maybe they were uh, you know, using that custody for U.S. assets, meaning that they were basically an off-ramp into Binance International. What do you make of this story? So th- when it comes to understanding where things are with Binance and the SEC, everything is sort of just part and parcel of the biggest question that they're trying to determine, which is how much control of Binance US did Binance International actually have? That's what the the SEC is basically saying, that there's actually no differentiation in practice. And that's the, the sort of core, that's the crux of their case. The part that we were discussing this week is around this company, Cefu, C-E-F-F-U, uh, for those who have seen it but not heard it. And the question is, <clears throat> is that actually a Binance company, which the SEC basically claims that it is? Is it, uh, and and if so, is it does Binance US custodying its assets with Cefu effectively mean that there's no barrier between those two? Now, the part that we were dealing with this week is actually kind of procedural because it, it relates to an agreement that the SEC and Binance made a, as part of this that Binance International would have no access to Binance US funds during the proceedings. Remember, a few weeks ago or a few months ago at this point, the SEC actually wanted to freeze all of Binance US's funds so that they couldn't flow out to Binance International. Uh, the Basically, that they didn't get that approved, but they had sort of a more, the judge went back and said, find something more reasonable. And the more reasonable thing was Binance US, uh, not, you know, them agreeing to not have any interaction with Binance International. But the fact that they're still 
custodying with Sefu, that's a, a potential complication. Now, if this feels like a lot of nuance, it is. It's relatively immaterial, probably in the long run, for how the case resolves. It matters in terms of how much leverage in the short term the SEC has to impose sort of more punitive things uh, against Binance US. Basically, what the judge said was, <clears throat> um, I'm not prepared to compel you know, any more document creation, but Binance US, you got to kind of, the judge basically slapped them both around a little bit and said, stop asking for, you know, preemptive judgments, SEC, and Binance US, you got to do more than you've been doing. Uh, but all in all, it just kind of continues to to be uh, a, a weird stalemate. And, you know, <laughs> frankly, the, the market is doing the SEC's jobs for it, uh, you know, to the extent that they're concerned exactly with, right. with with funds flowing to international because there are no funds left. You know, I think. We're yeah, they like, killed Binance US yeah. merely with some claims, whether right yeah. or wrong. I, that is not uh, the Democratic yeah. way, in my opinion. I mean, as you said, like, you got the judge asked Binance US and SEC to simmer down and dispute over documents. Perfect. Judge literally like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you guys need to chill. <laughs> basically like this is too much but I, I mean to you know wrap a bow on this i think it's just this is not going anywhere the sec is going to continue to push against binance but it might take quite a while for them to sort this out and then of course we will wait and see if there's any criminal uh you know doj uh, activity coming but for now i think this is just a continuation of the story that we've been telling for for weeks here 100 percent yeah Next, U.S. CBDC efforts opposed in legislation advanced by House Republicans. The House Financial Services Committee approved a bill meant to prevent a U.S. central bank digital currency. Now, we've seen this taken up by a few states. A few governors have sort of used it as a talking point to say there'll never be a CBDC in the United States. Now, coming out of committee, now listen, this is the same group of Republicans, the Tom Emmers, the Patrick Henrys, the Warren Davidsons that continue to push forward crypto-friendly legislation. But this one basically saying we will never have a CBDC in the United States. Yeah. I, so this is interesting. I think that, one, I think a lot of people are surprised that this has become sort of a meaningful issue to Republicans heading into the presidential election season. But it certainly has. And I think that it's starting to actually make more sense if you watch the way that the discussions even of crypto and the crypto industry are evolving. So there was the Senate Oversight Committee hearing last week with Gary Gensler, and crypto really wasn't a big focus on it. What was clear is that Republicans have started to wrap crypto into a larger narrative, uh, which is government expansion and sort of bureaucratic expansion. And they're sort of using crypto as exhibit A, right? Where what they are arguing is that the government under the Biden administration has tried to sort of expand its authority outside of what Congress has allowed it to do. Uh, look at the crypto industry as an example. Look at Gary Gensler as sort of the chief example. I think in some ways then, if you look at this sort of anti-CBDC legislation, in many ways, it is a preemptive strike against an expansion of government authority, in this case, the Federal Reserve. And it starts to make a lot more sense as part of that overarching picture of what they're trying to argue going into the next election season. Now, the good thing for people, regardless of where they find themselves in the sort of political spectrum, is that it is rising right to the surface, really important issues of surveillance, of power, of, of money questions. So it's, it's kind of like the fact that these things are being marked up in committee, which is what happened this week, is probably a net positive thing, almost regardless of what side of the aisle you find yourself on, uh, assuming that you are sort of <laughs> against surveillance and, you know, ex expanded authority over over our lives.
Yeah, but here's the part that got me. And this is the story in my mind. We all know Maxine Waters, of course. She, uh, you know, famously taking pictures with SBF, the head of these committees. This is what Maxine Waters had to say about this, because the irony of this is just bewildering to me. It will keep the United States behind other countries, including China, as a race forward to develop a global standard for central bank digital currencies. She said that Republicans are taking a deeply anti-innovation stance on the technology, which has been embraced by other nations. The legislation, she said, would stifle that research and prevent us from moving forward, even if it means that the dollar loses its status as the world's reserve currency, and even if it means the U.S. citizens lose out on faster, cheaper, and simpler payments. Holy shit. Isn't that literally what we've been saying to her about crypto the entire time? Yes. And in fact, I bet we could dig up a quote from Brad Sherman or someone else that says something to the effect of China isn't worth following all the time. You know, it's just it's the nature of the beast. Listen, it's going to get a lot worse for us over the next year or so year, whatever, 14 months. It's going to get just sillier and sillier and sillier with the contortions of uh, of politics heading into the election. But she's making the claim that like she's pro tech. And that yeah. we should uh, that we should not stifle innovation, and we should support faster, cheaper payments. I mean, she literally just described crypto, but put it in the bundle of a CBDC instead. And well, that's obviously be, I mean, doesn't see the nuance. Yeah, I mean that's that, but that's the this is the reason that people are concerned about CBDCs is that they feel like a co-optation of a lot of the things that are appealing about cryptos, but with sort of like the you know re- retained authority of the government and you know a, a mass expansion of power that comes with it rather than a, a distribution or a, a dissolution of power that comes with sort of an, a, a non-governmental system like crypto. I'm gonna, yeah, I agree. I just made my brain hurt when I yeah. heard her when I read those comments. It was just, I, yeah, I, nothing makes me uh, surprised anymore. But that one, <laughs> that one got close. Now, the next story here we have is kind of interesting because we've had a narrative that there's no money coming into crypto, right? No new money, no new funds being raised. Everybody's having trouble fundraising. I can tell you that being in Singapore last week, I was able to outright anecdotally dispel that myth because the amount of money being spent in crypto in Asia is absolutely astounding. And I think they've taken all their budgets out of the US to spend there. But it's not just anecdotal anymore. We have a few announcements just this week. Crypto VC blockchain capital score is 580 million for two new funds. I mean, we can you can see their portfolio. It's literally everybody in, in crypto. Uh, we have Nomura's Laser Digital starting a Bitcoin adoption fund for institutional investors. Investment firm Reverie launches 20 million crypto venture firm. That's a drop in the bucket. And then finally, that Tether is making a massive bet on on chips and and moving into AI. But uh, do you think that we're at the point of the cycle now where we can stop talking about there being no new money in crypto or no investment and that it's all dead? Well, the interesting thing, the interesting nuance on this is that if you have talked, anyone who's talked to sort of institutional investors over the last however many months, there's been a slight different story, which is that things are a lot more quiet, but money hasn't vacated quite the way that it seemed like it might have from the outside, right? Uh, certainly in certain, you know, pockets of areas like NFTs being down 95% to the surprise of no one, you know, like th- things like that, I think are valid, but that gets wrapped up with an overarching idea that, you know, all the money flowed out of the system. And that that actually hasn't been true. What has been true is that no one has, there hasn't been a lot of action. It's been still. 
capital, right? The the capital hasn't been flowing. Certainly projects haven't been funded to nearly the same degree, but you wouldn't really expect them to be necessarily, right? You you know, if you see this sort of cataclysmic event and you're a venture capitalist and you've got a whole slew of startups that are trying to survive, which by the way is the scenario for all of venture capital right now, not just crypto, because we're in a totally different environment than anyone's been in in venture capital since 2007, you know, um, then then you don't necessarily pour more fire into the problem by by having more people raise. But eventually you start to that that starts to shift and you start to get rewarded for having, you know, stories of funding hit the hit the wires and, you know, movements start to happen again. People start to position. We've been, you know, you and I have talked about this. We're in the hinterland between sort of the worst of the bear market ending, but there's certainly not a bull market that's begun. And that's the part where at some point in there, people start positioning for the bull market that they know is inevitable. And I think the fact that you had, uh, there's actually even another fund that launched Oak Grove, which is spin out, I think maybe of, uh, they, they used to be at Sino Global, I think one of the people there. In, in any case, the fact that there's three or four of these announcements in a single week suggests at least that maybe we are starting to kind of hit that period where people want to get a little bit louder again, and they want to start sort of uh, attracting capital. You also saw a couple of, um, we, did, we didn't put this in the story, but there were a couple of sort of big picture funding announcements as well. Uh, a company called Bastion raised $25 million, XA16Z guys building uh, Web3 infrastructure for brands. So, you know, you had a slew of announcements that felt more... Uh, lively than we've seen for a while, all, all happening at once. Feels like the industry is like the Black Knight guy in Monty Python. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Like, but you lost your arm. You yeah, know? we are. Yeah, there we are. Uh, still, still fighting. Yeah. Still fighting. Oh, I love that movie. I need to watch that again. Maybe while I'm sitting around doing nothing, uh, I can uh, add that to my list here. But the next story, obviously, is a crazy one. Uh, it's the FTX sues Sam Bankman frieds parents to claw back funds. Listen, maybe we all knew that this was happening. Uh, but man, when you read this Bloomberg article, which by the way is a tome, it's a book, right? How Sam Bankman frieds elite parents enabled his crypto empire it literally goes into like the details of what diapers they used to put him in and, uh, how his schooling was. I mean, this is really deep, but seems that they opened a lot of doors obviously protected him and even at the end when likely they were insolvent took effectively a 10 million dollar gift and about 16 million in properties in the bahamas i mean listen you were pretty close to all this when it was happening obviously what do you make of the uh the bankman freeds um a couple things one i think that even for folks who were there the depth of engagement or maybe not so much the depth of engagement but the um the, the sleaziness of some of it is surprising. You know, I think that it was it was quite clear to people who are inside the company that at least Sam's dad's role was bigger than what was publicly perceived outside. Um, it wasn't easy when from inside the company to get a handle on whether it was like the like actually materially important role or kind of like the kooky uncle hanging around. Frankly, it felt a little bit more like that. So there's one of the examples that uh, that that is called out in the in the lawsuit uh, from the FTX estate uh, around Joe hiring his sister to run a charity hackathon uh, in Miami. And um, <laughs> this is the one time in my life. I'm the guy who like people get credit for in the group project because I do it all. This is the one time in my life that I was like, I'm not touching this project with a 10-foot pole. I will do anything to stay away from it. But my perception was, again, Joe being kind of like 
the kooky uncle that Sam had, I mean, it was his dad, but it had given him the ability to do whatever he wanted. It was clearly ridiculous that he hired his sister. She was a nightmare from the get-go. But again, these things, like there's a lot of things that looked like managerial incompetence and kind of whatever from the inside that when it turns out they're exhibit 19 in a story that also involves Sam's dad setting up a hundred shell companies <laughs> look a lot different, you know, after the fact. I mean, listen, uh, I guess on the giving the benefit of the doubt, anyone with connections and power would help their child. Okay. I, I get that part, I guess, but it seems like his mother was certainly behind the massive slew of political donations. And a story just came out claiming that she told him to hide them. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, I, the, <laughs> the, the, smoke, the, the smoking guns to me, which this will be litigated, so we can speculate it all we want. It doesn't matter. It'll go through the courts. One is it seems that Barbara was deeply involved in the plan to have donations put in, you know, come through loans and put in the names of other people, which is illegal. So, like, if, if that is proven true, if all those emails are true, that's just, you know, it is what it is. There's no kind of <laughs> debating that. Secondly, it appears, and and this sort of does, uh, I think, reflect, uh, you know, people's perceptions at least somewhat internally, that Joe had a significant role in structuring the company, which we now know was structured in ways to explicitly obfuscate things, you know. Um, but I mean, he he talks about hiring, you know, pick, picking who was going to hire be hired for for the law firms and stuff. And I mean, listen, Sam's whole the, the thing that strikes me as weird going into this uh, trial is that it, the indications that we have so far is that Sam's defense is going to largely rest on the idea that he got bad legal advice. And that, you know, he was just doing what the lawyers told him to do. Uh, but his dad chose the all the lawyers lawyer. and set up the whole. So it's like, I don't know. That's it's going to it feels like there's going to be a weird tension there. Yeah, it feels like there's going to be a very weird tension there. I think the story that really got me was where his father was pushing for a higher salary. Right. Yeah, he's only getting 250000 uh, a year, wanted a million and if the story is true, I mean, I just looped have in his mom. Oh, my yeah, he basically God. said, oh, you don't want to give me a million. Talk to your mom. We're going to deal with a lot of this stuff. I, I think the other the other interesting sub story around SPF this week, he had tried to get out of jail in advance of the trial, uh, but that was denied this week. So he he's there until uh, until they get out to the extent that the prosecution's goal with having him in detention was to put pressure on him to not delay the trial endlessly, which, you know, my betting a few months ago before he was locked up was that they were going to delay this trial as much as they possibly could, right? Just try to get it out of the headlines, try to get it away from the worst of the crypto cycle. Things start going well again in crypto. There's a very different public perception, whereas right now it still feels like it's dead because of him. You know, like my, my guess had been that they would try to delay Boy, as soon as he went to MDC, <laughs> that that changed. He was like, "Nope, let's do the trial." In fact, can we move it up? You know, can we do? September and they hit him with two million documents or something. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely astounding. The guy's in there with like a fourteen four dial up internet, trying to go through two million documents. Yeah, this guy's we'll not going to win. It feels it feels like it's. I, I mean. I don't know. I, I should we should check to see if there are prediction markets for whether he pleads out at the last minute because it, it feels like. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know how he thinks like he everyone has rolled on him, like literally every single person. The only person that we don't know who would be in a position to roll on him is Trabuco. And where is Trabuco? Well, the fact that there's nothing that has been happened to him suggests that he did roll and it just happened earlier than everyone else, you know?
Yeah, or yeah, he's the, the world's greatest hider, you know? But it doesn't even seem like they're trying to find him. So I don't know. It's Maybe yeah. he got out earlier enough. But yeah. I mean, when you look at that sort of incestuous relationship between Alameda and FTX, there's no way that he was completely oblivious to it and had no not. part in it. But but yeah, that's just a con- conjecture. And then the final story, obviously, is FOMC and the Fed, right? I mean, uh, obviously, this is Bitcoin price action as a result. But we basically saw Jerome Powell do the expected. 99% predictive markets had it at no rate hike for September. But he was relatively hawkish in his tone and gave the message that we would likely be higher for longer, which I think everyone is expecting. But it finally seems like markets are starting to react to that, right? It's almost like nobody's believed the guy for a year and a half, and all of a sudden they believe him today. Listen, there's a lot to critique Powell for, particularly how long they waited, I think, to start you know, trying to pursue inflation after it happened. I think history will judge them harshly for that. But subsequent to getting on the page, he's followed through to the letter with everything that he said at every point, despite the fact that for the entire time, markets have, you know, flipped their nose at him and said, we don't believe you. I think that you're right that this the the story of this time was that it finally seems like they're they're buying the story, you know. That's my feeling as well. I was literally just trying to pull up a, a chart to see how bad the uh, markets were, were looking at it. It's not great. I mean, this is the first time I think it's the worst week that the markets have had since last year, since December. I think we had some of the worst days that we've had since December. And actually, I'm kind of encouraged that Bitcoin is sort of just hanging out. Yeah, I mean, you and I, you and I kind of talked about this, I think, uh, two weeks ago, that it feels like we might finally have hit the the rational price bottom for this part of the cycle, where it's sort of, it's not the like, scary things are going bad all the time, you know, price. And it's also not the, hey, things are probably getting better now price, but it's sort of just the, we're fine to live here forever, <laughs> forever, as long as it takes price. I mean, who knows, that could change. But the lack of reaction, or at least the very temporary reaction to all of the sort of macro news this week suggests that to some extent, I think. I just find it really surprising that when he did exactly what he said he was going to do once again, and nothing changed, all of a sudden, there seems to be this panic. I mean, do you think that it's just been hanging by such a thin thread that's you know, anything, maybe you needed to say something positive. What do people expect? I just don't understand what the anticipation was. I don't know that we've ever had, I mean, this would be interesting for market historians, the degree to which enthusiasm around artificial intelligence has backstopped the market this year is fairly astounding. And, you know, to your point, nothing has really changed at all throughout this entire year in terms of, you know, high interest rates have been there. It hasn't, there's been no indication that we're, you know, that that anything around that is going to change. Powell continues to say that, you know, the, 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 I mean, the, the dot plot shows that by and large, I think 12 out of the 19 predict there's at least one more hike this year. Uh, we're down to potentially two uh, reductions next year from the four that were anticipated back in, in, in June. Um, so none of that's changed, right? We we live through the banking crisis. It's just that, you know, all this this sort of enthusiasm around not just specific stocks, although that's obviously a big piece of it, but the idea that we are on the verge of unlocking a fundamental productivity gain and the fact that this market hasn't wanted to believe the bad stuff for so long, so they were able to cling on to that. Um, but it, it's, you know, the, the question, I think, for, for a long time has been how long can that countervailing force 
hold back the tide of just sort of the general malaise of the rest of it. And the answer was never going to be forever, right? So I don't know, maybe, maybe again, it's just kind of part and parcel of the market accepting the higher for longer thing. And, you know, maybe, maybe they'll rebound again. And, you know, I'll just say, maybe, maybe we're talking next Friday and we're back at the highs and it was, yeah. Like, well, why did we cover that story? To the to the extent that it's to the extent that that I, I, you know I and other people who have argued this are right that it's a, a lot driven by the the AI theme. There's going to be a lot of product announcements this fall uh, because the competition is on aggressively, you know. And so who knows what combination of you know Google uh, announcing Gemini and Facebook racing the Llama three and all these sort of things uh, might might change that again, especially if the market continues to do what it seems like it's done for the last 18 months, which is just look for any sliver of positive news that it can, you know, pile in on rather than dealing with the reality of the situation. For sure. How much do you use AI personally? I mean, listen, you create content. I use chat GPT every day. Uh, you? Nonstop throughout the day. I mean, yeah. in I, I have... Um, there are five or six different categories that I use on a, on a fairly daily basis. On chat, so chat GPT images, chat GPT image creation, editing, uh, social media curation, voice uh, synthesis stuff is not daily, but it's probably you know every every couple weeks, uh, okay. and then and then I from a sort of pure learning, but it's not for any applied purpose. The video generation stuff is something that I'm I'm playing around with, but certainly for yeah. for me actually the image generation is the stuff that I use most because it's just it's there's so so many thumbnails to create you know so many uh, newsletter images to to create um, that that's. My my number one. Do you primarily use Mid Journey. I, I do. I'm tried it yet. I, That's I'm, I'm a, sad to admit. I'm, I'm a mid I'm a Mid Journey stand. Although OpenAI just announced Dolly three uh, coming to ChatGPT plus. It does. Yeah, well, and ChatGPT eventually got rid of the uh, web search part, which I found quite annoying. Yeah. So the <laughs> it's interesting because. They were they were sort of pressured into doing it. I don't think that they wanted to. I think that they had concerns from a safety perspective because it kind of nullifies the whole, you know, uh, it, it creates new risk, let's put it that way. And um, they kind of put got pressured into it from a market perspective. And then they turned it off because people were using it to get around paywalls. And, uh, you know, yeah. either one, they haven't figured out how to solve that problem or two, it's a convenient reason to keep it turned off for the moment. Uh, you know, I think either is plausible. All right, man. I love it. We knocked that out in 30 minutes. I think that, I think this was a 30 minute week. It, it was yeah. a lot, a lot of stuff, but still very, very in between, very liminal, right? Is Binance continuing to, you know, be in this fight, continuing to recede from the US, continuing to, you know, figure out where it's going to land globally. It's, you know, the beginnings, the uh, embers of, of capital, you know, kind of showing its head again uh, in the space. You know, it's all these sort of things that are, you know, it's not big, like pounding news. It's, it's you know, stuff that's going to show up and be relevant in a few, few weeks, few months. I'm glad it doesn't mean means we don't need to talk it all to death and we can cover it rather quickly. Guys, everybody follow NLW. You can check this out off obviously on his audio and YouTube channel as well. And I will once again every single week tell you just listen to the breakdown every day and you won't have to listen to anything else. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. As usual, see you next Friday. Cheers, guys.